Welcome to today's episode of The Square. As you can tell, we have escaped the office. Uh, We're in beautiful, sunny, and most importantly, comfortable Torrance, California. I'm here with John Mayers, who is a uh, associate principal. You're in the aviation sector in our Corgan LA office. Um, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, and you may hear a fair amount of background noise because we are at an active airport, but that just goes to really a, a perfect place for this conversation because you're not only an aviation architect, you're also uh, an aviator yourself. But before we get into that, I'd love to talk a little bit about growing up in California because you're a native Californian. Tell me what it was like to grow up here. A lot of outdoor activities. Uh, there's a lot of culture here. Um, but, you know, the most important thing for me is, is, you know, this is where my family is. And we've been here for uh, eight generations in Southern California. Really? Where, did you spe- where specifically did you grow up? Um, I, I grew up, um, I grew up in a lot of places. Uh, you, you know, my dad was, uh, he was a naval aviator. Okay. So, so we, uh, we spent a lot of time at a lot of bases. Yeah. <laughs> but here in California, um, mostly my formative years, um, I grew up in San Diego. Yep, and, and then um, you know, great climate, great, yeah, great, great everything. A lot of fun in San Diego. Uh, great fish tacos. Great fish tacos. <laughs> you know, they call it uh, America's finest city. Yeah, um, they call it. You would never call it that. No, I just call it home. Home, yeah. So, with your dad being a naval aviator, it seems like you would come by the aviation bug rather honestly. Was it architecture or aviation that was a uh, passion that hit first. Actually, it was, it was a little bit of both, and um, I'll you know I'll tell you a little story about yeah. that. Um, um, as I was growing up, you know I was always fascinated by puzzles, putting things together, uh, designing things, you know taking things apart, putting yep. them back together in a, in a different way, and and um, I you know I really wanted to be an architect, and um, my dad always encouraged that, and and but at the same time I also loved flying, yeah, and so. I um, I used to uh, you know study up on that and everything. Finally, when I turned uh, uh, 14, my dad started giving me flying lessons. And that's um, young. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually, I I, uh, I soloed a plane on my 16th birthday. Wow. And then I got my driver's license. So you literally had your pilot's license before your driver's license. Yeah, pretty much. That's crazy. Um, so I I continued to um, you know uh, fly through high school. Um, I went away to college. Um, finances were not uh, exactly in the right spot sure. for, for me to continue flying in, uh, uh, in college. But actually, when I was a senior, um, I started getting uh, recruited by the Navy to be a, you know, to be a pilot in the Navy. And so I was, um, I was really excited. You know, they, they flew a plane up from, uh, from one of the bases to take me for a flight and, uh, you know, kind of introduce me and, you know, feel me out and everything. So I, uh, I went, I took the flight. I was so excited. I, uh, I picked up the phone. I called my dad. I said, Dad, guess what I just did? I just went flying in a Navy plane. He says, you didn't sign anything, did you? I'm, I'm like, what? He says, you didn't sign anything, right? I'm like, no. They, they just gave me pizza. And, uh, you know, so, so my dad actually had a long talk with me and talked me out of becoming a really? naval aviator. Huh. And he said, uh, architecture is your passion. It's, you know, there's much more uh, potential of a career there for you. Yeah. Um, and you know what? If it doesn't work out, you can always join the you Navy. You can always go back. Yep. So 
So then you went to school where for your architecture? Uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And then once you graduated, what happened? Well, I, um, I went back to San Diego. Um, I, I lived with my folks for about a year and five months and 14 days and eight hours. <laughs> not and that anyone was counting. Not that anyone w was counting. You know, it's kind of hard to, to make that, that uh, move back. But I, yeah. um, I was actually able to pay off all my student loans within, you know, 18 months. But, that's um, awesome. you know, just living at home and, yeah. and everything. And, um, um, Did you start right in with an architecture yeah, firm? Yeah, I graduated on on Saturday. I started work on Monday. That's so. awesome. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you start working? Um, I was working in San Diego, actually, for um, another pilot, uh, a fellow named uh, Larry Yakel, who had a hangar right next to my dad. So that's how I met him, and he hired me. And uh, we were doing a lot of actually kind of fun stuff. We were doing um, uh, retail TIs and some, some restaurants, some small commercial, but I just it wasn't for me. I, I wanted something a little bit bigger, something I, I could really sink my teeth into. Was there ever another kind of flavor of architecture that appealed to you, or was it always kind of this perfect marriage of your two passions for well, aviation? Was, I, I, I honestly didn't know that, that people designed airport terminals. Mm. I, I just... You know, I, I thought about it, but I, th I thought it was something that the, you know, maybe the FAA did it, something like that. I, I didn't really have a lot of exposure to it. So um, when I decided to spread my wings, pun intended, pun intended. <laughs> I, um, I, uh, I moved up to L.A. That's where there's a lot of, um, you know, large, large firms doing big work, type sure. one construction. And um, I started interviewing around and I, I interviewed at a, a firm up here and I'm I walked in the door and I was looking at some of their their stuff. You know, this is before the internet where you couldn't just go Google it. Google it, exactly. <laughs> and so um, I started seeing these airline terminals and these kinds of projects. And yeah. I, so I, I just started talking to them and I'm like, wow, this is this is really great. Where'd you get these neat pictures? And, and it's like, well, we designed <laughs> we this. Did I'm like, those. what? You guys, you can design these? And so, um, I was able to uh, to get a job with them and start my career off, and um, had a great opportunity, to, you know, to find out that this uh, sector existed and that, that I could be a part of it. Did it were airports to that point more of a functional architecture kind of in the back of your mind, or was that the first time you kind of thought of as a, a passenger journey or the the um, the architecture kind of serving as a gateway for a community? Well. You know, when I was a kid, we did a lot of traveling, sure. and so I spent a lot of time in airports. And back in the 60s and the 70s, uh, an airport was uh, a ticket counter, a uh, cafeteria, and the gate where you went to your plane. Right. Um, they didn't have, I, I mean, this was pre-security. They didn't even have a security checkpoint. Sure. The concessions were terrible. Yeah. Um, the facilities were, were, were awful, and I, I remember that as a kid, and I always kind of kept that in, in my mind um, as I was doing these projects, you know, how can we make this passenger experience mm. better? How can we make this uh, a pleasurable experience? And, and that's also the way that the industry has been going. How can we keep our customers happy and spending money in yeah. our buildings? So now you've got 30 plus years of aviation architecture experience. Do you think back to that conversation with your dad and 
was, do you think it was, it was purely, hey, I see that this, there's this passion for architecture that you have, that's what you should go after? Or is there anything else to that in terms of wanting to have, you know, maybe a better quality of life for you? I think there was a little bit of subtext. Um, you know, one of the things about being in, a, uh, in the Navy or something like that is that you're always having to answer to a chain of command mm. um, that may go up far beyond you. And so yeah. you've got a lot of people that are uh, making decisions for you um, that, that may or may not be in your best interest. And so I, I think that, you know, he always knew that by being a professional, being in a profession, and being able to work in the management of that profession that I would have a lot more control over my life and what kinds of things I did. So it, it sounds like there might be a little bit of a, a context around um, your dad wanting you to be able to kind of be the master of your own ship to mix metaphors there. Yeah. Was that, was that, did he have experience in, in, or was there an experience that kind of informed that, him wanting that for you? Uh, he used to tell me a lot of stories. Um, you know, he was, uh, he flew in combat for the Navy, so obviously it's not something that uh, you do every day and, sure. and, and there's a certain amount of danger. Um, he was telling me this one story, uh, he was flying um, a combat air patrol for the carrier, which is basically that they're just kind of flying around looking for uh, things to, you know, that might, that might be, be dangerous, dangerous. exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, the Russians flew a bear bomber, which you know they used to fly these things right. o over the carriers, and so um, they said, you know, go up and intercept this guy. And my dad's like, okay. Yeah. So, so he goes up and he intercepts him, and um, he turns his uh, his radar lock on uh, for the Sparrow missiles. Yep. And the people on the carrier are saying what are you doing? He says, well, you told me to go intercept the guy. Do you want me to shoot him down now? Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. We don't <laughs> shoot these guys down. We just go, you know, intercept. And he says, well, you know, every time that you put me in this plane, you yeah. send me off a catapult, you make me try to land uh, on the back of a tiny ship with the, you know, with the cable, yeah. you're putting my life in danger. Yeah. And so if you're doing that just for some kind of a, a political statement or yeah. some, you know, you know, kind of thing, you know, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And so uh, that was kind of a turning point, I think, in 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 his career. And it's a, it, it's a story that that resonated with me. Yeah. Is that you, you know when you put your life, your career, whatever, in the hands of other people, you better be able to trust those people and and know that they have your your best interests in mind. Being at an airport, there is going to be a little bit of background noise, so you guys get to enjoy that. But speaking of, of, you know, kind of that, that family aspect, one of the things that I've, I have um, appreciated about you throughout knowing you for the last 10 plus years is your, your kind of view of your team as your family. Tell me a little bit about why you take that approach. Well, it's, I mean, we spend more time together at work than we do at home. Mm -hmm. And um, we also have a lot of pressures um, on on projects, you know, things that 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 we do that you know you may not have with your family. Yeah. And and so it's it's important that that everybody on the team, you know, your little family. Yeah. Uh, you got a you know you got respect for the people. You understand what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and that you you have the. Uh, the courage and you have the the skill to help them work through some of those things 
and um, you know we we are kind of like a family. Yeah. You know, sometimes a uh, you know dysfunctional, quirky family, <laughs> but um, we're all human. <laughs> well, we're you know we're all human, yeah. and and if you don't have a certain amount of um, uh, respect and affection. You know, yeah. not in the bad HR way yeah. <laughs> for for, uh, for, sure. the, for healthy the people. affection. Yeah, yeah, healthy affection for the yeah. people that you work with. You're not going to be a successful team. So I think that that is a great ideal to have, but it requires real leadership for that to actually come out in practicality with a group of people that have strengths, weaknesses, personalities, egos, all of that. What are some of those key elements of leadership you think it takes to foster that kind of of culture? Well, I, I think one of the first things is um, you need some uh, uh, respect. Mm -hmm. So um, I would never ask my team to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And, and so I, uh, I make it a habit to learn what I can, as much as I can, about all the things that we're doing on a project so that I can uh, you know, give them the right answers, but also to be able to jump in if someone needs a little bit of help. Um, I think you have to be vulnerable. You have to be a human being. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, you kind of put yourself out there, and and uh, you let your people tell you what what they think. You know, you don't want them to feel like they're uh, they can't tell you things because yeah. they don't want to upset you. You got to have fun. You know, you got to have a little bit of 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 humor. Don't take yourself too seriously. Sure. <laughs> um, you probably know that about me. Yeah. Uh, um, love that about you. Not just know that. Love that about you. So uh, you know, but at the at the same time, you know, you don't want to be a, a clown. Sure. You know, you want people to be able to to uh, respect the decisions that you make. You got to be flexible. You got to yeah. have all these other qualities. Now. The, the team has put out some incredible work. I'm curious what, because obviously some of that happened before I was with Corrigan. In the last 10 years, we've gotten to work together on a couple of different projects. What is it that really stands out to you along your journey as, as kind of key projects? Corgan or not? Yeah, I mean, you know, for my, for my, my personal um, uh, uh, experience, uh, the Sacramento Airline Terminal. That was that was a really really good project. Yeah. We, we had a lot of budget. We had a lot of uh, flexibility. We had a lot of um, uh, respect. Yeah. Uh, you know, both for and from uh, the client. They gave us a lot of leeway. We had a good team. We had a we had a good time on that project. Tell me about. The, I've got to ask about the the red bunny. Tell me the story behind the red bunny. The, the, the Red Bunny, actually, there's a name for it. It's it's technically called uh, Leap. Leap, okay. Yes, and, and um, uh, when we were doing that, um, that was actually something fun that, that, that we got to do, is we got to participate in the public arts selection for that project. Got it. So, uh, so um, we had a kind of a non-voting advisory uh, seat, and we would listen to some of these uh, proposals. And you can imagine, um, you know, public art is a big deal. For it's, sure. It, it's not just, you know, kittens yeah. with balls of yarn. It's just not an afterthought that you put in at the end. Yeah, yeah. so, so it's an uh, uh, integral part of the building. 
um, as part of this this process, um, the Public Arts Commission uh, up there had over 300 solicitations for for some of these uh, these projects, and so um, we got a chance to go through them. Some had a lot of merit. Some were crazy good. <laughs> yeah. Some were crazy, crazy not bad. good. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Um, we had an hour. I can tell you about some of them, um, but uh, but the the Red Rabbit was was one that was uh, selected, and you know the artist. Uh, the first time he told the story, it was all about red being the color of speed and rabbit being the fastest animal. Right. And then next time he told the story, it was a rabbit was the Chinese symbol <laughs> of something. So, uh, but you know that's that's part of the fun. Um, but anyway. Uh, the original concept was for a, a fiberglass rabbit mm -hmm. um, that was going to be smooth. Mm -hmm. And so uh, by the time the fire department got a hold of that and went through the concept, they're like, we're not going to put a <laughs> explosive flammable <laughs> rabbit yeah. in the middle of this thing. You know, meanwhile, the building is being constructed. So yeah. they switched to, you know, to the metal rabbit. And um, again, by the time that they got the, the funding to, together and, uh, you know, the artists for a lot of these public projects, they're not the, the fabricators, they'll, they'll hire right. somebody to actually do this. Um, by the time they got the fabricators on board, the building was almost finished. Yeah. So um, we had a big power. How, how are we going to get do something this? that size in there? Yeah, so, so uh, we actually decided that they could uh, slice the thing into three foot by eight foot sections that could fit through a door. Yeah. And so when that was built, that was built in these little slices. They brought the thing in, they bolted it together, lifted it up, and the rest is so, history. So tell me, from, a, from an architecture standpoint, you know, because you're very much a designer, you're working with artists who also think of themselves as designers, albeit maybe in a different realm, that I mean, I think of Sacramento Airport, having flown through there multiple times, the architecture and the artwork seem to complement each other so well, but that you didn't have, I mean, certainly not when you were designing and not even until it was constructed was the rabbit actually there. How do you, how do you balance that relationship between the art and the architecture? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's an interesting process. It's, it's something that we've done before. Um, but uh, we, we, you know, we go through early during the design and we identify areas within the building that would be suitable for art. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we, we do make some decisions. Um, uh, there's some flexibility, yeah. but you know, it may be art in, in the floor, maybe art um, um, hanging, something like that. So uh, we'll make uh, provisions for it. And um, in a building structure, I think the rabbit weighed forty thousand pounds or something. Golly. But in a in a building context, that's not that's a lot. Nothing. That's not yeah. even in the noise. So we didn't have to um, do any kind of um, special framing or anything. We did ha have to provide some way to to attach it, sure. and some way to hoist it up there. But um, um, you know, generally we will work with the client. We'll work with the art commission. We'll come up with some candidate. Um, um, ideas and in most cases the uh, the art commissions that we worked with have been very uh, respectful of the, of the architecture they want the art to be part of the building not yeah. just stuck on the building 
And so, uh, um, you know, we also have a good re reputation in the industry of being uh, responsible with this type of stuff and, and uh, being able to work with the art commissions. Are there any other projects that kind of stand out in your mind as kind of those key milestone projects? over the journey you've had as an architect? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've done a lot of the big projects, but something that we're, we're really getting our hands into now are some of the smaller um, regional airports. Mm -hmm. And um, for right now, uh, for instance, right now, we're, we're doing the Long Beach mm -hmm. um, landside. And that's a, that's a fantastic project. It's not a big, complicated, Billion dollar terminal. It's a you know hundred million dollar project. Right. Um, but but it's it, it's of a much uh, smaller, more personal scale there. Yeah. And the uh, the motivation of of the airport is great. They you know they loved our design. Yeah. Um, and it, it gives us a chance to make an airport that's a little more people focused, a little more uh, pedestrian focused, and less you know big industrial bandwidth <laughs> yeah bandwidth i like that <laughs> on a conceptual level when you're designing um something like the long beach airport is the place that you start from similar to a large airport like an lax msc in terms of passenger experience and it's just how it gets carried out that changes well we have a lot of of uh, constraints at an airport I, I, as you can imagine there are uh security constraints sure there's the fact that you've got airplanes moving around yes. you've got cars and so the, those generally set some boundaries you know this is the box that we have to design in uh, we can only go a, a certain height a certain width so that kind of gives you the you know the area that 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 you're going to build in um, we also have an opportunity to meet with the clients early um, as part of the visioning process to find out exactly what they want to see in the terminal. Yeah. And, and you know, Long Beach is a, it's a small community. It's, it actually used to be the largest uh, city in LA County. Oh, wow. Up until the earthquake of 1938 something. or something yeah. like that. So, <laughs> uh, so but, but they've always prided themselves on being a um, pedestrian focused, community focused, mm -hmm. Um, you know, nice place to live. So um, a lot of the vibe that we got from them d during the visioning uh, session and follow-up meetings is that they wanted this to be a, a terminal that was more people with bags walking under canopies and, yeah. and less of a escalator moving walkway elevator. Tunnel type of, type of yeah, thing, yeah. exactly. Conceptually, do you start from the same place in terms of a passenger experience, whether it's a big airport like an LAX MSC or a more regional airport like a, like a Long Beach, and then it just changes based on the specifications of the footprint and whatnot? Well, it, it, it's a little bit different um, for any of these, these projects. We start with a visioning session where we can meet with the airport authority, some of their uh, stakeholders, and find out what aspects of the project are going to be very important to them. Mm. Um, so for a lot of them, like an LAX, it's a very um, industrial, moving passengers yeah. through with, with, with escalators and, and um, robust concession programs and, and all this, this kind of stuff. It's a little bit different for a place like Long Beach. Long Beach is a, it's a smaller airport. 
Um, it's an indoor-outdoor terminal, which is uh, it's really interesting if you get a chance to, to get down there. And yeah. they're very interested about connecting their, their passengers with nature, gi giving it uh, more of a, um, a, a people-focused, I'm not, I'm not going to say uh, residential, but just sure. kind of a smaller... Um, a, a smaller scale, more and, community feel, almost. yeah, more community feel. Yeah. And uh, it, in fact, one of the uh, the places that we've created in the terminal is a community plaza, so yeah. that they can have um, events and bring people to the, the the airport that may not be flying. That's something that's very important to them, and something that we uh, we try to respond to. As with any team or family, and, and really probably any project, there's these periods of of just dryness when you're trying to kind of come up with that creative inspiration. Um, how do you foster that amongst your teams and making sure that they're, you know, inspired to create incredible designs? Well, uh, you know, creativity cannot be forced. It can be inspired. Mm. Um, also, there's, there's a lot of um, opportunities in what we do to kind of jump around. So if we get stuck on something, we can move on we can focus on another aspect of the project, and and we can, uh, work, you know, work on that. And and so sometimes that will uh, inspire us as we go back, and can take a fresh look yeah. at, at you know one of the things that we got stuck on. Um, also, you know, we do spend a lot of time together, so we, we like to go out and have some fun. Um, <laughs> you know, we do a lot of team lunches, um, we do a lot of other team activities after work. Um, you know, not as an intrusive uh, part, you know, where we want you here 12 hours a day, but just sure. as, as a chance to give, uh, you know, people a chance to get to know each other yeah. a little bit more. Plus, you know, we have a, uh, a younger staff. There's a lot of people that aren't married or, yeah. or maybe don't have families here. So yeah. it's just a good way for us all to connect, um, a good way for us to get to know each other and uh, build respect. So tell me something that you enjoy that has nothing to do with aviation or architecture. I'm kind of glancing over that beautiful car behind well, you. Well, I, I, I can tell you that I love long walks at the beach, <laughs> and, and I do. And you have a beautiful beach to walk on. Yes, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I do like cars. Is it, do you just like things that go fast at this point? Well, it, it's, it's, you know, it's more than that, I mean, this, this this thing behind me, I think, is one of the most beautifully designed, shaped cars in my price range. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that I've ever seen. Yeah. And um, um, it just, I love driving it. I love working on it. Yeah. I love washing it. Um, Tell me it, some of the cars you've had over the years in your in your collection. Oh boy, I, I, I've had a, um, a Viper GTS. Yeah. I've had a uh, 1965 Corvette Stingray convertible, red, black, radio delete, 327, <laughs> 350, uh, with a 411 rear end. I love that car. Um, actually, I, I was able to sell that car and buy a condo. So, uh, you <laughs> that's know, a good trade. That, that was a good investment. Um, I've had um, pretty much every BMW yeah. or Mercedes made. Um, and I've had a couple of weird cars. Oh, I, yeah? I had a. Like um, what? Well, I, uh, uh, I had a Jaguar XJS. Yeah. 
convertible, yep. which was a weird car. And then I, um, I had a Cadillac convertible, um, but it didn't come convertible from the factory. <laughs> it was me and a couple guys, a, a 12 pack and a carbon blade saw. <laughs> That Stories that'll time. last a lifetime. Yeah, but that was a fun car. car. Please, Saul. Um, so, is there uh, is there anything else that you find is like a, a passion or a hobby is that that just you know you get fulfillment out of? I uh, I like seeing live music. Mm. Um, again, I like to in, enjoy nature. I love the south, the Southern California climate and lifestyle yeah. as well. So. Uh, there's always a lot of things for for one to do out here. Yeah. Um, never, uh, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. Well, looking back, you know, you've got 30 years under your belt, plenty more to go. But are there, let's say that you, you know, we'll have a looper moment here. You ran into your 22-year-old self. Is there something you would tell them as a as a as a as a word of advice um, that you wish you'd known? Um, you know, just just pay it. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. And I think all of us has an opportunity to make a big difference if we just kind of get outside of what we're doing, what's in front of us, and yeah. just kind of look at the big picture. Look, you know, look at things that are going on uh, around the world. Look at things that are going on in society. And, and I think we all have the opportunity to make a bigger difference than, than we do. Is there anything you would have done differently, knowing what you know now? Uh, I probably would have joined Corgan earlier. <laughs> well, at the risk of it being a shameless plug, I'm curious why. Well, um, um, at, at the other firms that I work with, they were small firms, mm -hmm. and they gave me a great uh, opportunity to do a lot of work. I mean, my first boss basically says, Hey, I'm going to Hawaii for four months. Do whatever you need to do. Yeah. And so I, I got a chance to learn, um, you know, not only design, not only get construction documents, but um, uh, responding to proposals, doing specifications, yeah. doing a lot of field work. And, and so I was there for um, a little over a, a year and a half, and I, I did, everything. I got to do everything. Yeah. And, and it was a great opportunity. Um, but um, you know the resources were limited. Um, the ability to advance was limited, um, and you know just the the sheer kind of brain trust that we have at Corgan. Yeah. Um, there's always somebody that 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 knows the answer. There's always uh, somebody that knows a little bit more, and so having the the opportunities, the resources, and the people available that you have at a big firm like like Corgan and, sure. and a good, respectable uh, base, you know, to, to draw from, yeah. there's, there's, there's no limit to what you can do. Certainly the aviation industry specifically um, has had a lot of uh, tumultuous um, milestones. You have, certainly you have 9-11, you have the crash in 08, you have COVID. With, you know, notwithstanding something, you know, outside of our control happening, where do you see the aviation architecture, you know, industry going? What do you think is the, the next kind of trends? I mean, one of the things that, that, that we, we keep seeing is that uh, the passenger experience 
is constantly changing and the way that we serve the passengers is constantly changing. Um, I, I talked a little bit earlier about going to the airport in the 60s. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wasn't wearing a fedora and a tie, but <laughs> everyone else was. Uh, I was, you know, that, that, that tall. But, but um, you know, seeing how we've changed um, since then, I mean, it's just, it's just going to keep changing. People are expecting more. Mm. Um, they're spending more time at the airport, uh, not necessarily because they want to, um, but but let's make them want to. Let's, yeah. You know, let's make them want to go here, like going to a nice club. Um, um, you know, we had our visioning session in Santa Barbara for that terminal um, a couple of weeks ago, and that's what the airport says. They they said they want this to feel like a club, like you're yeah. going to a club. Um, so with uh, technology changes, um, we're able to get, you know, 80% of the people away from the ticket counter. Yeah. Back in the day, everybody went to the ticket counter. Yep. And so that's, that's changing. And so we have a lot of opportunities, not only in the new buildings that we design, but also opportunities to go back into the buildings that we've already designed or that maybe somebody else has and you know go through and do some retrofits change the way that the passengers flow um, change the amenities that are available and change the way that they're processed is is there an air you know obviously you've traveled a fair amount is there an airport you've always wanted to go to that you haven't been to you know, I've I've done a lot of travel uh, in in the U.S. in Europe, um, not as much as I'd like to do in Asia, mm. and they're doing fantastic things there. I mean, they are creating these destination airports yeah. where you go to the airport because it is a place to go. There's yeah. museums there. There's there's uh, there's ample uh, amenities both airside and landside. So, you know, probably any of the, uh, the, the big ones, uh, you know, Changi or, yeah. or something like that. I was specifically thinking Singapore, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's, that's one on my bucket list. Um, you know, certainly some of the other ones, and they, they keep building them. Yeah. Um, I'd like to get a chance to see some of the airports in China as well. Okay, so what was your first car? My first car was a 1971 Mercury Capri. Um, my budget was five hundred dollars, <laughs> and I got a car for five hundred bucks. Um, the driver's seat back was broken, um, <laughs> and the transmission only had three gears. But um, but it made I, it work. Uh, it 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 got me to school, and I actually had the opportunity over about a year to get everything fixed. I completely rebuilt it, and then I wrecked it. Oh no! <laughs> it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. Out of all the cars that you've had, is there one you wish you still had? 65 Corvette Roadster. Sorry. <laughs> Before I'm even I, done. I know where you're going, and I, 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 I kicked myself. That was a fantastic car. Hopefully, we'll get some pictures of these that we can put into the edit, because okay. I'm sure you have them. Um, so flying a plane is not without risks and, and, and potential peril, and you have kind of a unique distinction of uh, being able to uh, take off, uh, land and take off on kind of an unconventional runway. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I do have a story. Um, back in the day when I, I was uh, working on the Sacramento project, um, I took my plane in for the annual inspection. Uh, the mechanic found a bunch of metal shards in the, uh, in the engine, so we decided to get the engine 
rebuilt. Yeah. That ended up taking a lot longer than we thought. So I'd already moved back down to LA. Sure. Etc. So uh, finally, about six months later, they gave me a call. I said, "Hey, your plane's ready." So I'm like, "Great!" So I flew up there the the next morning. Did a pre-flight. Everything look looks great. I told the you know mechanic, you, "Everything works, right?" He yep. said, "Oh yeah, everything's great. No problem." <laughs> so. Uh, um, jump in the plane, take off, start uh, climbing out at about 2,500 feet. The engine just stopped running, <laughs> which it's not supposed it's to not do at 2,500. Yeah, so so the you know the plane basically turns into a glider. Yeah. So um, what we went through the emergency procedures. Engine was not starting up. So uh, you know, check the GPS. The nearest airport was nine miles away. I had about five miles of glide Wide. distance <laughs> yeah. to go so I uh, um, I looked around I saw a freeway a uh, <laughs> couple cars on on the freeway you know going down there I'm like oh well I people land on freeways don't they so uh, brought uh, the plane in about uh, what speed are you going at this point well you know you, the, the plane glides about a hundred okay hundred right so yeah. as you're flying the the pattern you're gradually slowing right. the plane so you slow it to 90 then yeah. you slow it to 80 and then when you're on final you're going about 70 65 70 and yeah guess what else moves at 65 <laughs> 70 miles an hour cars on a freeway yeah so uh basically kind of merged into lanes and set it down on the on the <laughs> on the freeway and uh had enough energy to kind of pull it off and yeah. you know get it out, out of the way of cars and fire department chp sheriff's department faa everybody shows up and yeah uh, my first call was to the mechanic my second call was to brent yeah uh, my boss to tell him i was going to be late for a meeting <laughs> uh then i called my mom and said you you might hear something on the news i'm, I'm okay, okay. <laughs> um and then uh so um they they look at the plane they diagnosed uh, the, the problem it was a faulty fuel line they got the fuel line replaced and uh, without much fanfare, they closed the freeway and let, let me you take, take off, off again. Yeah. That, the, the letting you take off again part about that is always the, the incredible part to me. I can't imagine being driving whatever car was immediately behind you as you landed, be thinking, well, that's not supposed to be there. Yeah, well, I think the car in front of me that probably didn't <laughs> see me got the bigger surprise when they looked, looked in the rearview rear mirror. mirror. Exactly. <laughs> Well, uh, John, thank you so much for sitting down with us and having this conversation. It's been absolutely enjoyable. Um, hopefully we'll get to follow up with you uh, when maybe Long Beach and a few of these other projects are done and, and find out how they went. All right, well, thanks. I, I appreciate it. It's absolutely. Been a lot of fun. And thank you for watching. If you wanna hear more about the story of landing on the highway, we'll put the link down in the description, as well as some photos and, and other information about John Mayers. Thanks again for watching.